Welcome to Season 3 of A New Voice of Freedom, the podcaster taken from the four volumes in defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. The following is from Poets Corner. Podcast 111 is entitled, Ode, Intimations of Immortality, from Recollections of Early Childhood by William Wordsworth, 1770-1850. through 1850. The poem addresses death. Speaking of the poem, words were said. But it was not so much from the source of animal vivacity that my difficulty came as from a sense of the indomitableness of the spirit within me. I used to brood over the stories of Enoch and Elijah and almost persuade myself that, whatever might become of others, I should be translated in something of the same way to heaven. With a feeling congenial to this, I was often unable to think of external things as having external existence, and I communed with all that I saw as something not apart from, but inherent in my own immaterial nature. As usual, Linda will be our reader. In the preface to the poem, Wordsworth said, The child is father of the man, and I could wish my days to be bound each to each by natural piety. The opening line, which is often quoted, dominates the theme of the poem. The father teaches the child about mortality, but the child teaches the father about immortality. The father teaches the child to prepare for mortal life. The child teaches the father to prepare for immortality and eternal life. Not only is there a temporal reality, but there is also a spiritual reality. Natural piety is a unique phrase. It suggests that our longing for God and heaven and our premortal life is natural, that reverence for God and for the infinite is natural, that the feelings of the Holy Ghost are natural and not artificial and self-imposed. The poem is written in 11 stanzas. Stanza 1 There was a time when meadow, grove, and stream, the earth, and every common sight to me did seem apparelled in celestial light, the glory and the freshness of a dream. It is not now as it hath been of yore, turned wheresoe'er I may, by night or day, the things which I have seen I now can see no more. One can only envy Wordsworth's precocity and childhood memories. Before coming to earth, we lived with God, the Father of our spirits, in heaven. At birth, a veil is drawn over our minds, causing us to forget our former home. To Wordsworth, those memories do not immediately disappear. They more or less are systematically taught out of him. Stanza 2 The rainbow comes and goes, and lovely is the rose. The moon doth with delight look round her when the heavens are bare. Waters on a starry night are beautiful and fair. The sunshine is a glorious birth, but yet I know, where'er I go, that there hath passed away a glory from the earth. There is beauty in nature, but the former light or former glory has gone. To Wordsworth, the earth too was created near the throne of God, but with the fall it lost its former glory. In other words, the earth was moved out of its former celestial sphere and placed in a terrestrial sphere with borrowed light from the sun. Stanza 3 
Now while the birds thus sing a joyous song, and while the young lambs bound as to the taper sound, to me alone there came a thought of grief, a timely utterance gave that thought relief, and I again am strong. The cataracts blow their trumpets from the steep, no more shall grief of mine the season wrong. I hear the echoes through the mountain throng, the winds come to me from the fields of sleep, and all the earth is gay, land and sea give themselves up to jollity, and with the heart of May doth every beast keep holiday. Thou child of joy, shout round me, let me hear thy shouts, thou happy shepherd boy. Even among the singing birds and frolicking lambs, Wordsworth yearns for the former glory. However, he is resurrected by nature. The mountain echoes, the winds, the cheerful earth, the jolly sea. Nature restores Wordsworth and reminds him of what once was. Stanza 4 Ye blessed creatures, I have heard the call ye to each other make. I see the heavens laugh with you in your jubilee. My heart is at your festival. My head hath its coronal. The fullness of your bliss I feel. I feel it all. O evil day, if I were sullen, while earth herself is adorning this sweet May morning, and the children are culling on every side in a thousand valleys far and wide, fresh flowers, while the sun shines warm and the babe leaps up on his mother's arm. I hear, I hear, with joy I hear, but there's a tree of many, one, a single field which I have looked upon, both of them speak of something that is gone. The pansy at my feet doth the same tale repeat. Whither is fled the visionary gleam? Where is it now, the glory and the dream? On the one hand, Wordsworth hears nature's call. Heaven and earth laugh together, and he feels it. He calls it an evil day to be sullen while the earth adorns herself with such beauty. It is a sweet May morning. Children are picking flowers, the fresh flowers, the warm sunshine, the baby leaping up on his mother's arm. He hears the joy. On the other hand, a tree or field speak of something that is gone. Even the pansy tells the sad tale. They are asking, where is the visionary gleam? Where is the glory and the dream? Even amid all the beauty, something is missing. Stanza 5 our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting. The soul that rises with us, our life star, hath had elsewhere its setting, and cometh from afar, not in entire forgetfulness, and not in utter nakedness, but trailing clouds of glory do we come from God, who is our home. Heaven lies about us in our infancy, shades of the prison house begin to close upon the growing boy. But he beholds the light, and whence it flows, he sees it in his joy. The youth who daily farther from the east must travel, still is nature's priest, and by the vision splendid is on his way attended. At length the man perceives it die away, and fade into the light of common day. The above is the most famous stanza in the poem. Wordsworth breaks religious orthodoxy and asserts that our birth hides the former glory of our heavenly home. We think of birth as an awakening. 
Wordsworth sees it as a sleeping. The soul is immortal. The soul did not begin on this earth. It came from afar, meaning, of course, from God. The body may forget, but the soul doesn't, not entirely. The soul trails clouds of glory from God, who is our home. When we are young, heaven still lies about us, but as we grow older, we forget that former glory entirely. The East symbolizes the Creator. Stanza 6 Earth fills her lap with pleasures of her own. Yearning she hath in her own natural kind, and even with something of a mother's mind, and no one worthy aim. The homely nurse doth all she can to make her foster child her inmate man forget the glories he hath known and that imperial palace whence he came. Heaven provided spiritual joys. Earth provides only natural joys, but they are distractions from the spiritual. Earth is like a mother with her own natural yearnings for her children. However, even in the nursery, a child is taught to forget the glories of premortality, to focus on the here and now, and to disregard those spiritual yearnings for invisible heaven. Stanza 7 Behold the child among his newborn blisses, a six-year darling of a pygmy size. See where mid-work of his own hands he lies, fretted by sallies of his mother's kisses, with light upon him from his father's eye. See at his feet some little plan or chart, some fragment from his dream of human life, shaped by himself with newly learned art, a wedding or a festival, a mourning or a funeral. And this hath now his heart, and unto this he frames his song. Then will he fit his tongue to dialogues of business, love, and strife. But it will not be long ere this be thrown aside, and with new joy and pride the little actor cons another part. Filling from time to time his humorous stage with all the persons down to palsied age that life brings with her in her equipage as if his whole vocation were endless imitation. This summary of life is the transitional stanza. It is the most negative stanza in the poem. From here on, the tone changes. Man goes through three stages. Stage one is early childhood, which is its own earthly happiness mainly focused on his parents. By age six, however, the world begins to encroach. Things are unclear. Only fragments are left of his premortal existence. His art, though, is still original, for he hasn't quite discarded the idea of immortality. Stage two, in the early stages of middle age, he is still optimistic, but entirely taken up with earthly things. As he grows older, he begins to comprehend life and death, weddings and funerals but he is happy and he sings of earthly things. However, soon he is distracted by business, love, strife, which put an edge to life. Finally, he enters the last stage. He grows cynical, philosophical, and looks at life humorously, spanning youth to palsied age. Life takes on a kind of meaninglessness, which includes endless imitation and repetition. Only later does he turn philosophic. Stanza 8 Thou whose exterior semblance doth belie the soul's immensity, thou best philosopher who yet dost keep thy heritage, 
thy eye among the blind, that deaf and silent readeth the eternal deep, haunted forever by the eternal mind. Mighty prophet, seer blessed, on whom those truths do rest, which we are toiling all our lives to find, in darkness lost the darkness of the grave. Thou, over whom thine immortality broods like the day, a master or a slave, a presence which is not to be put by. Thou little child, yet glorious in the might of heaven-born freedom on thy being's height. Why, with such earnest pains, dost thou provoke the years to bring the inevitable yoke, thus blindly with thy blessedness at strife? Full soon thy soul shall have her earthly freight, and custom lie upon thee with a weight, heavy as frost, and deep almost as life. Mortality belies or makes false the idea of the immortality of the soul. However, probably speaking of himself, Wordsworth keeps the immortal heritage alive. He is an eye among the blind, meaning those who have lost all belief in immortality. He still reads the depths of eternity. He is forever haunted by the eternal mind. He, meaning the poet, is the prophet and seer on whom these truths rest. We toil our entire lives to find that which was lost in death. To the seer, immortality broods like the day and will not go away. There is still the child in him. In other words, the child is the father to the man. The child in him still glories in the might of heaven. However, years bring the inevitable yoke of old age and suffering mortality. During his entire life, he was blessed by striving to keep those feelings alive. But soon the soul shall have her earthly freight, meaning, I think, encroaching death. Heavy as frost suggests the grave, which is deep almost as life. In the face of death, it seems impossible to keep the idea of immortality alive. Stanza 9. O joy, that in our embers is something that doth live, that nature yet remembers what was so fugitive. The thought of our past years in me doth breed perpetual benediction, not indeed for that which is most worthy to be blessed, delight and liberty, the simple creed of childhood, whether busy or at rest, with new-fledged hope still fluttering in his breast. Not for these I raise the song of thanks and praise, but for those obstinate questionings of sense and outward things, fallings from us, vanishings, blank misgivings of a creature moving about in worlds not realized, high instincts before which our mortal nature did tremble like a guilty thing surprised. But for those first affections, those shadowy recollections, which be they what they may, are yet the fountain light of all our day, are yet the master light of all our seeing, uphold us, cherish, and have power to make our noisy years seem moments in the being of the eternal silence. Truths that wake to perish never, which neither listlessness nor mad endeavor, nor man nor boy, nor all that is at enmity with joy can utterly abolish or destroy. Hence, in a season of calm weather, though island far we be, our souls have sight of that immortal sea which brought us hither, 
can in a moment travel thither, and see the children sport upon the shore, and hear the mighty waters rolling evermore. One cannot help but rejoice at the words, O joy, that in our embers is something that doth live, that nature yet remembers. In other words, even with the cares of the world, the intimations of immortality never totally die. Even if it is a fugitive, it breeds perpetual blessings. Even with age, new hope flutters in his breast. The shadowy reflections of what we felt as a child are yet the fountain light of all our day. The noisy years, which refers to the distractions of mortality, will seem like a moment as eternal truths awake. Truth never dies. They cannot be destroyed. In our calmer moments, our souls have sight of immortality, what Wordsworth calls that immortal sea, which brought us to earth. When we die, we will take the journey back through that immortal sea. From immortality, we will look back on earth as we hear the mighty waters roll in forever. Stanza 10 Then sing, ye birds, sing, sing a joyous song, and let the young lambs bound as to the tabor sound. We in thought will join your throng, ye that pipe and ye that play, ye that through your hearts today fill the gladness of the May. What, though the radiance which was once so bright be now forsaken, taken from my sight, though nothing can bring back the hour of splendor in the grass, of glory in the flower. We will grieve not, rather find strength in what remains behind, in the primal sympathy which having been must ever be, in the soothing thoughts that spring out of human suffering, in the faith that looks through death, in years that bring the philosophic mind. Wordsworth echoes stanza three, Thou child of joy. He relives those youthful memories when the earth was bathed in celestial light. He calls upon nature to sing again a joyous song. Though he can't be there in person, he can be there in thought. In stanza three, there came a thought of grief. In stanza ten, he vows not to wrong the season with grief, but will hear the echoes through the mountains throng. In stanza three, in youth, he quickly recovers from his grief and becomes strong. All the earth is gay. In stanza ten, he vows to feel the gladness of May. In stanza three, the land and sea give themselves up to jollity. He refers to the shepherd as thou child of joy. In stanza ten, though the radiance was forever taken from his sight, though nothing can bring back the hour of splendor in the grass and of the glory of the flower, yet he still will not grieve, but rather find strength in what remains behind. The primal sympathy is still present, for once having been, it must forever be. It is a mellow feeling. In the soothing thoughts that spring out of human suffering, faith looks through death and brings out the philosophic mind. Stanza 11 And O ye fountains, meadows, hills, and groves, forebode not any severing of our loves, yet in my heart of hearts I feel your might. I only have relinquished one delight, to live beneath your more habitual sway. I love the brooks, which down their channel fret, even more than when I tripped lightly as they. The innocent brightness of a newborn day is lovely yet. The clouds, 
that gather round the setting sun do take a sober coloring from an eye that hath kept watch o'er man's mortality. Another race hath been, and other palms are won, thanks to the human heart by which we live, thanks to its tenderness, its joys and fears. To me the meanest flower that blows can give thoughts that do often lie too deep for tears. He calls upon nature not to sever our love of God, of immortality, and of our divine heritage. Deep down in his heart of hearts, he feels the might of nature. He has given up one delight, however. Remember, Wordsworth is credited for beginning the romantic movement in England, and that is why he will not be distracted by nature's power to the extent of making him forget the infinite. He loves the brooks. He loves the brightness of a new day, the colorful clouds at sunset. However, thanks to the human heart, thanks to its tenderness, its joys and fears, the least of nature's beauties bring thoughts of immortality, or as Wordsworth says, thoughts that do often lie too deep for tears. In other words, all of nature testifies of the immortality of the soul. It still carries vestiges of celestial light and testifies of God. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.